Hello, dirtbags. This is your editor, Esper Quinn, popping in with some quick pre-show information. First, the bad news. The mix is off this week due to an error with our software. That's part of why you're getting me instead of a usual goof-around intro. Sorry. Uh, thankfully, we're responsible podcasters and all saved local copies of our audio, which I present to you now. Now, the good news. Today's guest is the first of many asked for by name from the Insert Credit community. If you'd like to make a recommendation for a future guest on the show, please let us know at forums.insertcredit.com or at patreon.com slash insertcredit. And now, I proudly present episode 177 with Heather Alexandra. Intro over, yeah! Seventy-seven episodes in the feed right now. Just wiped out Tomato Town. This is Insert Credit, the relentlessly on-topic audio program featuring a panel of video game experts every week with one mission: succinctly and astutely address each topic presented to them within six minutes, or be subjected to the admonishing tone of a horrible, horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, and my favorite kind of physical video game paraphernalia is world maps. Ooh. I'm Frank Cifaldi, and uh, my favorite kind of physical video game paraphernalia, I don't know if you all know this about me, but uh, I like to collect all the stuff that came out of games that I produce, um, and there's a lot of physical things that happened from Mega Man Legacy Collection, and I've kind mm-hmm. of been going back and finding the stuff I missed, and uh, my favorite thing, of course, is one that I can't have right now, which is that for approximately five days at the Capcom bar in Tokyo... If you ordered a special blue drink, you'd get one of two buttons that had the logo for Rockman Classics Collection. And I, I don't have those, so that's my favorite. Who's someone who's working at a, as a waitress at a Capcom bar? Really? Yeah, a in, Capcom. Tw- in 2016? Yeah, when I met them. Interesting. Well, okay. you might have an in there. Let's talk. <laughs> Capcom doesn't have any more. I found someone to ask Capcom for me. They don't have them. I'm Brandon Sheffield. Boy, that's a tough one. I was actually just having a weird thought about this recently, not to go on a full tangent either. But uh, it's weird how we put all these cool things into video game boxes, like stickers and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the collection is instantly devalued if you have any fun with them, like use them and put them on your binder or whatever. That kind of is too bad. Um, and there's an uh, entire business out of making those things. Right. So I think uh, in in considering that my favorite piece of video game paraphernalia, it's kind of maybe a little boring, but I like the, the little stickers that you could put on your Saturn memory cartridge um, so mm. that it's now like uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth is staring at you when you look at your, your little memory cart sticking out of the back of your Saturn. I think that stuff's cute. Uh, and I like those, and I wish I wish I felt comfortable using them because it would devalue my uh, $500 game down to $400. <laughs> so stupid! I hate it. Right. Well, joining us this week is a recovering game journalist, content and community manager at Double Fine Productions, and the Western world's foremost expert on Skies of Arcadia, Heather Alexandra. Hi! Wow, this is a nice intro. Um, my favorite. Let's just get straight to answering the question. It's hard for me to decide. I have two answers, which is probably cheating. I will say, um, unofficially, 
uh, fanzines. I love when fans come together to make stuff. So any collection of like fan art or fan writing or things like that, I think is very cool. I think those are just as valid collectibles and paraphernalia as anything that's official. But officially, um, I like when music boxes are made. Like when there are music boxes of cool jingles. I have one right near me. I would turn it on, but I don't know how it would sound on the mic. Let's try. Let's but try. I, I literally, and that is indeed the Skies of Arcadia title theme. Oh, but that's so cool. That rules. Yeah. But I love, um, I see these every now and then. Not too many people do them, but there are every now and then music boxes that pop up with cool game, game music on them. And I think that's such a cool idea because I think that among the things that stay with me the most from the games that I like are not just like the stories or anything, but it is the music, right? Like there's a reason people mark out uh, soundtracks, right? Definitely. I just say, I just want to say that was not pre-planned. I had no idea that was going to happen, yeah, but no, I'm glad I, I asked that. I had to move after an, an apartment fire in New York. So all my stuff is just kind oh, of no. scattered about. Oh, this was like last year. Um, so I just have a lot it's of still, actually, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have a lot of my Skies of Arcadia collectibles very close by. Um, just because I decided to put them on my work desk to kind of give me a boost uh, to get through the workday. But I mean, right. music boxes for anything. They don't have to be tied to my favorite game. They can be tied to your favorite game and they could be great. There could be, I mean, why, why didn't working designs make music boxes with their big cool boxes back back in the day? They should have done they that. They were bros. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's, that's true. actually the answer. I yeah. think that's really why. That's probably true. Uh, Heather, did you see that bit in the um, Dreamcast retrospective that a bunch of um sega people did where um ryoko kodama was was like if only we had met or made better games maybe the dreamcast would have succeeded and i was like no you oh, did it i can i can oh, reach God. out i can reach out and touch my dreamcast from where i am right now too um because i have consoles on my desk uh, yeah, it's touch like too. what a what a harsh thought right um yeah because there were plenty of good uh games on that console i, I mean love that's the, the, dream that's the main thing it had is good games yeah <laughs> right. it, historically like that and like the ability to go online before most other people but then microsoft k kicked everybody's butt when they were like here's xbox live mm -hmm. that's hard to hear and it's, it's hard to hear sometimes too when people talk about that era of games they're like oh, we finally had the technology to like make these things that we like. There's always this sense when I hear people talk about that generation, especially when talking about the Dreamcast, that they always still felt a little hindered. And that's a shame. That's just a little yeah. bit of a shame. I long for the alternative world where Sega is not... I mean, I, I love Sega very much still. I was a Dreamcast person. I was a Sega Genesis person. I wish for the alternative timeline where they were even more present than they are now, right? That has been a question on this show. What, <laughs> yeah, you kind of recurring the theme. To make Sega still a console maker. I'm just imagining some wizened Sega developers shedding a tear and saying, I wish we could have done more what Nintendo don't. It's like you travel back in time to sometime around the Saturn release or something and tell them just don't. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's really some, it's something as simple as like walking up to someone and be like, I've, I've seen it. It doesn't go well. Just fo focus on the next thing. Let people want like, I don't know, like let the, let the anticipation build and then and beat everyone up. I don't know. DVDs. Right. Yeah, DVDs. Yeah, that, that's the driver there. Previously on insert credit, as we are wont to do when opening uh, shows this season, in episode 20, November 2012, 9-cent convenience fee, I asked the question, you encounter someone who, quote, plays video games for the story. What games can you assume they own, based on that statement? Skies of Arcadia. 
<laughs> Some of them Final Fantasies. I'm sure they have Final Fantasy VI. It would really depend on their age, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> right? Like, you say they would have Final Fantasy VI, but I was joking with someone the other day because they were, they were like, they had a, a wonderfully perfect opinion, which I think is true, which is that Chrono Trigger is just okay. It's an okay game. But some people are like, it's the best. And we, we both agree that it's just okay. And I said that I blame the worship of that game to Gen X. And I stand by that. So I think that if somebody's like, I play a lot of story games and they're older, yes, it would be like Chrono Trigger and like Final Fantasies or something. But if they're people now, it's like... I would have to think about like visual novel or something. Yeah, yeah. I totally. think a, a twenty-five-year-old might say Danganronpa or something like that. Right. Or <laughs> or if you're somebody who's really into indie stuff might might be like, oh, I really like Firewatch or something. Right. Like they'll really throw a story-heavy one at you. Yeah, kind of lean more toward like stuff that's on itch. You know, a lot of people who make games because they want to tell a story. But I don't know if rando off the street is playing that stuff if they say they're playing games for story well, right it's got to be the I popular mean, one right is it is it actually like a random person off the street and that in which case i would think it's more like assassin's creed or something right well, yeah. This, yeah this is why i said final fantasy 6 because i feel like this is somebody who watches a bunch of youtube and like they want to think of themselves as a story driven person and so they will be like, what are the big story games from history that I can say that I like? That I guess that was the direction I was going with it. Maybe, yeah. But Final Fantasy VI is probably too far back. Mm. Nowadays, yeah. It's, yeah. People consider the games that I play retro, right? And I'm not particularly old at all. And people are like, those are retro games. And I'm like, okay, great. I'll, I'll turn into <laughs> dust now. <laughs> well, what is the cutoff for retro? Is it two console generations? I have no clue. It's got to be two or three, right? I think it's fluid. I mean, NES felt retro to me in like 99, right. you know, and the system had been off the market for five years at that point. It came from five years ago now. Clearly not retro. Yeah. Xbox <laughs> 360, maybe retro. Yeah, it's right? on the cusp, but, I would say. Yeah. And that's what? That's like 15 years ago? PS2 is for sure, though. The only thing okay. that oh, even yeah. makes me feel like somebody who could call be called a retro gamer now is remembering when it went from like 2D to 3D. Because I remember how confused I was by it. Mm. I was like one of those people in the movie theaters that thought the train was going to hit them. Like, <laughs> right. like, like it mist- mystified me. So that's why I go like, okay, maybe I am old enough to be a retro gamer now because I remember that. But most of the games I like, I'm, like I'm not playing a lot of old games usually like i got a p i got a ps5 i'm playing like genshin impact or something right like, yeah but if you remember the transition from 2d to 3d uh, you're yeah, it's, old it's you're, bananas. We're, we're old so. yeah it's, it's awful i think that maybe a, someone who calls themselves a story oriented gamer might be the kind of person who's like i actually understand the story of final fantasy 15 because i went and i read like whatever light novels or whatever there is well you have, you have to watch the movie the too there, there's a movie mm-hmm. that you gotta oh, yeah. watch king's before gotta you watch the king's glaive king's yeah. glaive 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 just want to say that word funny yeah, yeah. it's a funny word want to get away with it while i can glaive very jerry lewis over here glaive glaive <laughs> <laughs> the king's glaive <laughs> what why does jerry lewis come up on this show i like he's not relevant he never has been Sorry, guy. Goddamn King of Comedy is his best We're very role. into French comedy here at uh, Insert Credit. Wait, wasn't it just that the French liked him? He's not actually French. No. Right. Okay, fair enough. Do they also like Goddamn Gallagher? I hope not. No, Gallagher's different than Jerry Lewis. I, I know, but I think the French also <laughs> liked him. And 
Gallagher is now like some kind of a big, um, I don't know, right wing bizarre person and his claim to fame is smashing gallagher fruit. had a video game in arcades it was called gallagher shooting gallery gallagher. there we go We're back on on topic gallagher uh, there was a sega cd version uh that was announced but never shipped i was gonna say if somebody just to get back to the question that was being said if somebody told me also that they were playing somebody who played things for stories now i would also mm-hmm. maybe consider if they were like an mmorpg player who made that distinction mm-hmm. because that feels very common to me now too people who are like we've gotten to that point where people vaguely still talk in ways that are like the Bartle gamer thing, even though that thing's sort of bullcrap. Um, mm-hmm. Pardon my language. Um, but what you, you still <laughs> yeah, we don't do have crap pe- on here. <laughs> you still do have people who specify who are like, yeah, like, like I'm a raider or like I enjoy the story. Or oh, right. So yeah. I feel like, like that could be a person too. Like somebody's into, somebody's like, I really play uh, Final Fantasy 14 for the story. There are definitely people who get into um, uh, League of Legends for the lore. Yes. That is true. There's a lot of lore. We are going on to our next question now. Dismiss that one from your mind. Uh, This one is specifically for Heather uh, because it's something that I've been wondering. What does it mean to be a community manager for a game studio that mostly makes single player games? That's a fair question. It means a lot of different things because I'm both a community manager and a content manager. So part of what I'm doing is making sure that there's like I run our website Mm -hmm. and I will help make things that will go to our YouTube. I'm working on a video series right now that I can't really disclose too much information on, but I I can't wait to share with people about uh, projects Second us too. That, that, that have been done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a pretty public-facing studio. Uh, for the community side of things, it means I also do things like moderate our Discord and, ah. and things like that, which is a very small thing of what I do. But, you know, it would be the same as, like, moderating forums a handful of years ago, right? Oh, we still do it. Yeah, I mean, we don't. Our forums uh, don't really exist anymore. But that also means sometimes responding to professional things but also personal things like sometimes really it means like somebody needs someone to talk to and you're like hey all right let's let's handle that um within reason right i make myself available and then also like because my remit is both community and content a lot of times it'll be handling um, a certain degree of public facing communication if it's going before the public and it's like a written statement the chances are that i'm the one who wrote it that includes if there's a need for public statements about whatever or or if need for speed yes i'm sorry or but also like stuff that goes on storefronts so all those descriptions now that are like when you buy psychonauts 2 and you see the description in the store i'm either writing that or like microsoft is showing me something and i go yeah that's good enough i guess i was just imagining it was you coming up with a hundred different ways to say no we can't tell you when psychonauts 2 is coming i mean that's part of it mostly it's like me telling people no we're not making banjo kazooie Um, (laughs) because one of the one of the nice things so i'm very fortunate to work where i work i believe uh because it is a place full of uh, very kind and and talented people which isn't to say that other places aren't but i mean i mean truly kind uh, warm wonderful people and we we get to make games that are um sort of bright and, and colorful right our game has a double jump that's great that's super cool but people ask us to make every possible thing that they want to see made like especially because they want right like any platformer thing they're like double fine should do it and i'm like other right. people can do that like square enix is putting out some sort of thing some right sort now. of thing yeah yuji naka and and then you know i'm like rare still exists do they like who knows whatever wild is is going to be like like there's probably platforming in there maybe i don't know um but it's it's, it's very funny um i do have a lot of people who try and trick me into revealing stuff about 
Psychonauts 2. Oh yeah. And uh no no freaking way. <laughs> like <laughs> like you, you kidding me? Like what's a, what's a good trick that they've tried? Oh gosh, I don't know. Anytime like a post is made, they'll try and fish. We put out a post recently about like, hey, we need everybody's names for the credits because originally this was a project that was backed on Fig, which was a right. website that is uh, still a thing. A little bit different than Kickstarter. Yeah. Um and so people were like, does that mean it's going to be coming soon? And I'm like, it will be releasing, right? Like, I can't even say it will be releasing soon or whatever. Like, right. I just have to say we will be releasing the game this year. Right. It is interesting to have a community that surrounds what is largely single player experiences. There are other studios that have that, like Supergiant must certainly have a community because there's like tons of fan art. And yeah. People are really into all that stuff, but it's all single player. I was gonna say for our community, it's very interesting because the age range of the community is very, it's very broad because we have people who have stayed on because they were fans of, of Tim and his work from, you know, Monkey Island and way back, like earlier adventure games. Um, my name is in a version of the credits of Grim Fandango, which is freaking awesome. I'm putting that out there. But we also have like younger folks who find something that they identify with in like the campers at Psychonauts. So we, so like for us, what you see is artists like you would in any community you see people who do a lot of like there's a large speculation community for psychonauts too about people making theories about like like a lot of story speculators or like people who are kind of into like making head cannons for certain characters and i just kind of shrug and go like yeah whatever (laughs) sure people who grew up with the lore yeah um yeah but which ones of these guesses were correct though (laughs) oh well that's the fun part i get to like i don't have the complete voice of canon behind me but i have a little bit of it so i didn't just trick you though no 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 uh, sometimes sometimes i will be like i don't know if that's how that works and people will be like oh are you are you yes. revealing something and i'm like i'm no i'm not really revealing anything until like like nothing is ever revealed story-wise or lore-wise in our games unless like tim says it or our games say it right. what was the question it was it was like <laughs> somebody was like uh could you it was a very morbid question it was like could a second not like explore a dead brain and i was like hmm i don't think it works like that i think you have to jump into the mind of like a like a living person but that's just me speculating that's not an official stance uh, the the true story of mr pokey loop remains to be seen <laughs> yeah question number three what are the most video gamey things that you've seen in real life oh there's some good ones out there i gotta rack the old brains i just got a new car and it's a it's a 2017 new car but it has something built in that scores you at the end of your drive in four different categories for how ecological your driving is. And this is currently my favorite video. Weird. <laughs> I played that game on my mom's uh, Honda In Insight. Not a very good car. I punched a guy and a bunch of coins came out. Does that count? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, that counts. Mm, that was one of the most video gamey things I've ever seen. What made you punch the guy? Uh, this is not a real story at all. Uh, <laughs> no, I thought you punched a guy and coins came out. Let's no, 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 no. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His uh, pockets were full of them. There you go. My cynical response was like every damn convention. There's, there's a level of there's like people who are into games and then people who are into games. I remember going to my first E3 and it was both exciting and terrifying. It was the first one open to the public. And that, oh yeah. That, that was banana. And there was a lot going on that time. I don't know if this is a good answer. It's a weird one, I guess. I shot a stationary, like, mounted machine gun in Vietnam. And, uh... Not the war. No, the country. <laughs> the, the country. Yeah, the country. That was actually a pet peeve of mine that in the U.S., when I say I did something in Vietnam, they're like, ah, oh, the war? 
And it's yeah. like, no, it's a, it's a whole country. They, there's a whole lot more stuff that happened there than the uh, several years we were there trying to burn it down. Um, well, but I'm, it, I'm not taking back my joke, despite what okay. you just said. I, yeah, I shot a stationary machine gun, and I was like, this should only be in video games, <laughs> is what I thought. <laughs> um, this shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to do this in real life. My last day in Florida before moving to New York in December I saw that the local CVS was vandalized with a bunch of graffiti that just said Trump won. And I was like, well, this is right out of a handy video oh, game. You know, I shared, I shared on Twitter uh, because why not make all of your life public? Yeah, right. I About a year ago, because it was just before quarantine, I went to, um, it was like the day before they were like, you all need to stay home. I went to Queens to have lunch with Austin Walker. From uh, at the time, he was at Waypoint still, I think. And there was a sign on the subway, a, an ad for some sort of Netflix thing, and somebody had spray painted over it, quarantine and chill. And it Ooh. felt, it really felt like I was in like a Tom Clancy's The Division or something. Right. Necrosoft Games' Brent Porter was telling me about this graffiti that he saw that, may, that he really liked when he was driving and stuck in traffic spray painted in giant black letters across a bridge it said bow puppets he was like man Ooh. that that really is uh i guess video game graffiti is real <laughs> yeah it really, it really feels like one that's like a they live john carpenter tag yeah. i mean here's my theory i think that the graffiti artists now are young enough that they're being influenced by video game oh, it graffiti. could be so uh, the language used by people ineptly misunderstanding what real graffiti is about is now informing actual graffiti artists. We are the monsters. I've also right. seen a... We are the walking dead. Yeah, shoot shoot the limbs. I've seen a frog try to cross a road, and uh, that's <laughs> pretty video gamey. I, I got out and helped. It, it was a toad, to actually. It was a toad, but you know, pretty close. No. Pretty similar. Not close enough. It's not called toader. Why not? That's what I want to know. There's got to be some more good ones out there. God darn it. Actually, just driving a car. Okay, here's here's my one, I guess. Driving on the uh, the 110 in Los Angeles. Or is it the 10? Whichever one is the oldest freeway in LA at like 2 a.m. feels exactly like one of those Tokyo Extreme Racer games where you're just like zooming around, going on all these curves. There aren't that many people on the road. It feels like you can kind of do whatever you want listening to some cool music. It's really excellent, and I highly recommend it for anyone that is in Los Angeles at 3 a.m. and awake and has a car and is a responsible driver. Because it feels like you're going real fast and doing something, even if you're just going the speed limit, because oh. of how twisty-turny yeah. that freeway is and, and general curves. Going back to moving to New York, I have to say, having come to the city... You really can't go into most of the buildings. They had that right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not sure why that's such a complaint. A lot of a lot of places in in New York City have door codes. Yeah, <laughs> you, have to, you have to know the door code. More like dark codes. Hey. Yeah. There we go. That scream was uh, not the end of the thing. It was oh, I was the, like, is that the buzzer? That was the buzzer, but it was in response to dork code. All right. Scary. It's been one year since we all went into a global quarantine, That's speaking true. of which. How would video games be different right now if that never happened? A lot more of them would have gotten finished. That's well, we'd I all think. be playing the Intellivision Amico right now. That's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. The pandemic really delayed that. But it, it truly has delayed, I would say, how many months would I say we've lost? 
I would say my team has lost between two and three months total of um, development time just to like fatigue, slowness, um, fatigued slowness. <laughs> and, and to be clear, uh, your studio is uh, an inherently remote studio. Yes, it's this entirely is not- virtual. This is not lost time to transitioning to no uh, home studios. Yeah, lost time to depression. Basically. We had to transition a lot of people to everything at home, right? And how to like remotely safely access a server and X Y Z stuff. Which so yeah, lost time is part of it. Games not being made is part of it. I, I will say we'll see a lot of changes in the future. I feel like one of which is some forms of remote work will be more acceptable. I think the other thing we're gonna see is we're gonna see even from here more push for like online events. I think it's just going to be a thing, right? The way yeah, I think yeah. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people in boardrooms, and I think this was what recently happened at Activision, was that they're going to look at their budgets now because that's all they do. And they're going to see like, oh, do we really need like this big of an events team if we can do so many live streams or whatever? And I think we're going to see something of a fundamental change in, in the ways in which studios get information about their next slate of games to i'll use the gross word to consumers um i think we're gonna see that i think a lot of the changes are things that are gonna start rippling out in the next six months or so i'm not sure if consumers is worse or gamers is worse it's like the same thing it's like it's all one word right right that's it's again they live roddy Roddy, Roddy carpenter yeah just all that so the question was how would it be different if it hadn't happened right Exactly. So I think that some games wouldn't have been as popular. Like, I think Animal Crossing would have still been a very popular release, but it wouldn't have been the thing everyone was doing for several months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Among Us probably never would have had that big company. Yeah. Um, I think the pandemic probably reduced a lot of supply chains and that I think a lot more people would have the newer systems, the PS5. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Xbox, whatever it is, I I literally Xbox Series Series X, X. Series okay. X. That's the one. Yes. Okay. Yeah, people would have those. Just think of Serious Six, and yeah. that way you'll remember it. I know because okay. Microsoft owns me now. I signed a <laughs> signed a contract. When you put in your your timesheet, they quiz you. Yeah. Every now and then, Phil Spencer calls me up and goes, <laughs> "Quick, what's it called? <laughs> the new yeah. one. The new one. Come uh, on." Uh, Oh, darn it. He goes, how's the Xbox One? You mean Series X? Ah, almost gotcha. Yeah, the, the last live event that I went to was DICE. And I've talked about this on here, but that's where I got Phil Spencer into a, a party because he had forgotten his, his invite in the hotel room. And then I spent my brief time in his good graces saying, I can't remember what your console is called, and I don't understand the point of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it went it went really well. It was good. We're friends now. I guess if it didn't happen, I don't know. I want to think that the delay is going to have made games better. That's what I want to hope for, right? Uh, But I don't don't know if that's true. I don't think it's true for us anyway. Like, I think that the game is going to come out as good as we can make it regardless. But what the delay is going to do is make us have to find more money. Like, we're we're not using that time to do things. We're using that time to be worse at our jobs for a while i mean on the other hand gunsport took seven years to make and that's why it's the best game of all time (laughs) that's probably why (laughs) yeah boy that game you feel real weird when you spend not in the entire seven years but from the start of the game development to the release seven years have elapsed of course we weren't working on it for seven years but 
it feels real weird to put that out and then be like, this is what we did. Like, this is, this is what we can achieve with that amount of time. Uh-oh. Right. And that's what, that's what I feel like pandemic time is going to amount to. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. I guess we got a good preview of that. This is what we were able to do with this yes. time. Gunsport was the ghost of Christmas future in that. Heck. Well, that, if that's its legacy, at least that's something. It's something. Now it's time to play the adaptation game. This is where I normally ask you to take some property and adapt it into a good video game. But this week, I'm doing the reverse. I want you to pitch me the Yakuza movie, but keep it as close to the spirit of the game series as possible. Okay. So I want it to star Kiryu still. And, sure. And I think that keeping it closest to the spirit of the games as possible, you probably actually do want to start with the Yakuza 0 story because it builds right in with the kind of origins of things and it also is the most compelling narrative. But I think one thing you might want to do, and this is weird for movies, but you might want to introduce chapters into it. Like maybe it's a miniseries movie or or something like that. Where sure. Where you actually have chapters with cliffhangers and stuff, because I feel like that's a big part of it. Like Zack Snyder's Justice League. I suppose. Well, I, I feel like all you're really doing is is saying how to put the main mission's storyline into a movie. I don't think the main mission of a Yakuza game, to me, that's not the Yakuza game. Right. That's the problem here. So the first thing I would spitball is that maybe you do have two characters' stories kind of going simultaneously, which might make it easier to have the weird sort of side plots going on. You need, I mean, I don't know how a movie can have like six short side plots that get resolved, you know, but yeah, like, th- that's really the heart of my well, question. Here. I know right. one way, which is those choose your own adventure DVDs that they had. No, it's a, could... <laughs> it's a movie. This is still a movie. I mean, those not a movie. It's a game. Uh... It's an FMV game. No, I mean, there were ones where it was just like, choose which scene you want to and go to. And those are FMV games. I guess, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That is, there's no, nothing different between that and Bandersnatch. Okay. Well then, how else are we getting some of these uh, side stories in? I guess they're, they're just like vignettes that happen during it. I think you make it both an action movie and consider the possibility of making portions of it a musical. I think, <sighs> I think yeah. sometimes there is singing in this Yakuza movie of some sort. I don't know Uh what it is. I don't know if that's how you get a montage of Majima doing some cabaret stuff, managing the cabaret club or whatever. It totally works. And then we get Bakimitai as well, and everybody's happy. Exactly. You get the the karaoke cutscenes in there. And Uh, you use that to backdrop the other wacky stuff. That's pretty good. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's how you do it. I think that's right. That's a good one. I think that's like one it. way at least yeah it's cabaret a lot of these musical numbers have to be while throwing bicycles oh, i was gonna say because you could have like if, if one character is off doing some ridiculous thing that does involve the musical side of thing you can also use that to cut to the other character in the middle yeah. of a big fight while mm-hmm. some other weird old music is going on like kiryu could be fighting whoever the heck from whatever family and then majima could be learning breakdance fighting at the same time yeah so what we need is for takashi Miike to watch a bunch of bollywood films and yeah right yeah that's the energy yeah and then we've got we got it all wrapped up i think we solved it i think we did <laughs> congratulations that's what happens when we have a heather alexander on the show nice uh, uh-huh. let, let's reward ourselves by going into the break a little bit early we'll be right back after a quick recharge. 
I remind you that you need to come up with a question by the end of the show? I do. Yeah, because you won last week's episode. Why did I win? You did really well in the fanfiction game. All right. Uh, Heather, I forgot to tell you that all of these episodes are scored, and whoever wins comes up with a question in the next episode. Oh, that's messed up. Yeah. Oh, I would have taken this so much more seriously. Fortunately, the second half of the show was weighed much more heavily. Oh, wonderful. It's like Family Feud, then. Welcome back to episode 177 of the Insert Credit Show. It's time, as we do every week, to delve into the dirt bag. Every week, we select one question submitted by our loyal listeners at patreon.com slash insertcredit who have access to a form where they can submit their own questions to the show, uh, one of which is chosen every week for this point right here. This week's question comes from listener Corey, who asks, what is the most underappreciated button on a controller? I guess it depends on which controller. I, I think the Z trigger is underappreciated. I like it. I love the Z trigger. I like that it's like a different feeling button. It doesn't feel like anything else on the controller. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like it has such purpose. And when used correctly in a game, I think it feels really nice. I wanted to say the select button because it's it's no longer really like a thing. It was always terrible. Though. I know, but that's I, <laughs> that's why I, I kind of appreciate it. I appreciate its existence as this sort of like gaming appendix button, like this weird vestigial retro helix thing. Like, I don't know. There's something about that very romantic, I think, about that. Have I talked about how much I like the select button on the TurboGrafx PC Engine? Why do you like the select button? It's it's the same as the NES one, right? It's just next to run. Well, it actually gets used because hitting run and select restarts the console. So that's, I mean, it's a soft reset. Uh, So there's that. But the other thing is, since NEC was kind of loose with their with their business, if you wanted to have a three-button game, you could have run, in addition to starting the game, be a function button, and then select would become the pause button. And so select and run are both these sort of amorphous, they're just buttons. They usually have a function, but sometimes that function is different. And uh, so I appreciate its existence on that console specifically. I was going to say, also, if we want to go back to Dreamcast, my total left field picks would be like the sleep or like the mode button on a, on a VMU. Just tiny button. Yeah. Tiny mm-hmm. little button. You get to yeah. push it. It's little a tiny baby little button. button. Yeah, a little baby button. I'm into that. I like the that the start button on the Dreamcast controller is a triangle. Um, it's very big. Yeah. Yeah. And big if we're talking triangle. about uh, shoulder triggers, those are nice and juicy, too. They're very springy. It's true. Yeah, those are those are actually my favorite shoulders. They are. Uh, they get squeaky very quickly. Yeah, that's true. But uh, boy, do they crazy taxi. Yes, yep. that touchpad on the PS4 and PS3 did that have it? No, it didn't. Um, anyway, it's useless, and I don't like it. <laughs> it's the opposite. <laughs> I was I was about to say this. You were you were about to surprise me. Yeah. No, I do not. I do not like. <laughs> do not. I mean, like. if I was if I was trying to sell something, I'd be like the share button or whatever, right? Oh like, God! Share with everybody your gaming experiences. I do like the idea of it, right? I do like the idea of a button that makes it nowadays easier for you to if something interesting. Happens. I'm gonna make a controller that has a button that just says eSport. <laughs> <laughs> I like the zero button on the Jaguar pad. How about that? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not that's really. just the bottom of a numpad. I know. Right? I don't. I don't actually okay. like it. It's. It's. Um. <laughs> I just think it's funny that it exists. Can you imagine making a weird, bloated game console like that, and then being like, you know what? This 
controller doesn't have enough of is buttons. I'm going to add 12 of them. It's, oh God, what a, what a mistake. I love that console. It's great. It's terrible. I don't know if it's a button, but I would like a, a paddle on something. I'd like a paddle to come back. Oh, yeah. Oh, you like this paddles. old paddle. I do like paddle. There's that peripheral for the DS that you could play Arkanoid with. Right, but it's it's not included on the DS, no, no. so nothing uses it. So No, it's cool, though. And also, I don't like Breakout or Arkanoid. I don't like those games. It's true. I don't like these games where I'm not in control. It's like, I don't know, waiting for your ride or something. It's not fun. <laughs> what is an analog stick if not a paddle persevering? The, you can't the, rotate well, sure. it. <laughs> but yes, you can't rotate it. It's true. But uh, that, was, that, was a, that was very I feel good. like most of the underrated buttons are just bad. So they're not underrated. I, I just keep going back to the GameCube controller, which I think was actually kind of neat. Thinking about that C stick. Yeah. Well, not the C stick. <laughs> Actually, C stick's kind of cool. It like it has a it, it could have a function. I don't think it ever quite hit its potential. But I was thinking more of just like the giant A buttons. Kind of cool. I like that there's a button that they're like, yeah, that's the action button. Oh, you just press that. So like the opposite of my love of tiny buttons. You like a right. big, you like a big old honking button. Well, I yeah. like one honking button. one honking button and the same the same reason i like the z trigger it's just like this button has purpose this isn't just another button this is a special button speaking of which what a missed opportunity for the original xbox for the for the duke controller the the middle big disc yeah. didn't do anything come on let that thing turn on my xbox god darn it i don't know if you heard me slapping a uh, a virtual button over here <laughs> that's what i was doing <laughs> we all pictured it what is the best named MacGuffin in a video game this is really tricky because it has to be like very specifically not really used in the plot like MacGuffin's a very specific thing right yeah. so i can't just be like oh final fantasy 6 the crystals or what like because in a lot of those games crystals are used so hmm like in the zelda games it would be the triforce like the thing everybody I haven't really liked a lot of those. I like when video games don't have them. This is gonna so be they're all bad. Gonna be, they're, no, they're not all bad. I just don't. That's not something that appeals to me too much. Because, like in a plot, I prefer when you reveal new information to me rather than do a plot twist and be like, "Oh, this guy was actually this guy" or whatever. Well, that's not necessarily what a MacGuffin is. I mean, no, I know. what I was gonna say is like. I'm sure we've all completely internalized and normalized this, but if you forget that you'd ever heard it before, Chaos Emeralds. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's a good one. For a while, they are like not barely in the plot, but people do want them, right? Because for me, well, a MacGuffin- from the first game, yeah. they're the thing. They're the MacGuffin that you need to get the good ending. You don't know what they're for. There's no plot in the game for what the Chaos Emeralds are. You just get them to get the good ending. I guess going mm -hmm. back, like if I guess I'm biased because like this dude- sort of is responsible for my paycheck now but like what about something like big whoop from like monkey island 2 or something like just a treasure that doesn't really matter that's inconsequential to the story right like cause that story is not really about getting the treasure it ultimately is about a lot it's of a good stuff. name for the big treasure in monkey island right specifically exactly yes. but uh i don't know that that's not quite hitting it for me um because it just it felt like a joke from the beginning of the game to me it didn't seem like something that paid off you know does the empty lot in Yakuza 0 count? Sort of, right? I feel like it sort of does. Oh, you know what's actually a good one? The sarcophagus in Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Because that's like everybody is fighting over it, but it's still an item that like hardly matters. I like that one. I didn't play it's that. It's supposed to contain like a super powerful vampire, but in the end, I don't want to spoil Vampire Masquerade Bloodline, but it doesn't quite contain Ancient Vampire. 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's actually a very young vampire. It's a, it's a baby vampire. It's a tiny little button. Just a little yeah. BMU button in there. <laughs> I think that was actually the plot of the season, of the first season of Buffy. I don't know. A lot, I feel like a lot of Oblivion or, like, Bethesda games have ended up having that. Like, there's... Mm-hmm. What was whatever the oh amulet of kings or whatever from oblivion yeah. where it's like you need that so that uh sean bean can really become the king or whatever like that's another those end up a lot i think in those sorts of games <sighs> just to guide you to at least one point on the map where there's like an important thing but yeah. the journey matters more I, than the I, thing. I think i think chaos emerald is still the best one yeah, sorry frank but you one. might win this episode no too. it's fine yeah oh. I, I keep <laughs> thinking about uh bad ones like the invites in king of fighters like yeah. it, it is one it's not a good one though i think the only thing that would compete i guess with chaos emeralds would be all the weird artifacts in assassin's creed if we're talking modern day oh, like the all pieces those of pieces eden. of eden right yeah which are ultimately That's just chaos, chaos emeralds right yeah so frank still wins but frank still wins i'm sorry, sorry frank. speaking of which uh, frank i think you got to give us your question now I'm sure we've had this conversation before, but I don't know. My memory. Never with Heather. That's true. Straight up, I've never been satisfied with a with the museum exhibit of video games. So design me a museum exhibit of games that makes sense and plays to the strengths of video games. Hmm. Oh, I think I would go in a totally different direction than which what would appeal to you. Okay. Because I I would want to have like some dumb big installation project where there are a lot of physically created things from video game worlds that i can look at and enjoy and like weird animatronics and stuff and then there are video games to play that are inside of these spaces but you you just like walk into this space and you feel like you're in a green hill zone or something um but but not cheesy not not in a bad dumb way more in like a fairyland paper mache stuff that was made 50 years ago kind of way that's what i would like <gasps> to see well what what is it that you are teaching through this <laughs> it's a good question as a museum exhibit yeah <laughs> it's a good question. are you just making super nintendo land or are you i making mean a museum exhibit? i don't necessarily think about museums as teaching so much as inspiring for me like it, okay i really like to go to the broad museum in los angeles and there they have like a couple examples of all the big modern art things there's some warhol stuff there's some Liechtenstein stuff there's like jackson pollock all these people since the 60s or whatever that have done big things you can just go around and you can see a bit of all of it rather than informing me completely about that artist's work or what that era was really like it shows me a breadth of stuff that feels inspiring and then they wind up having like video installations or other things in there that are totally different. And there's a lot of rotating stuff and experiential spaces like that. The rain room where you, you can walk in and then there's, there's water falling all over the place except where you're standing. And it's just this bizarre experience that you can have. So I really like that kind of stuff because it makes me, it makes me think about a possibility space rather than trying to teach me something, which I feel like is, I don't want to say less valuable. It's harder to do anyway. I would hire a speedrunner put them in a really long corridor designed after like one one of mario and then every day i would release them <laughs> and see how quickly they could get through the hallway so you're talking about like a parkour speedrunner or one of the actual speedrunners i don't know i feel like one of the things oh i, I know, know what you do 
Oh, go for you it. Have, go for uh, it. You have a speedrunner do yeah. uh, the entirety of Super Mario uh, Brothers and have an actual parkour guy do <laughs> a recreation of 1-1 one, one and see who does it first. Yeah, I knew this was where it was going to go. I guess the reason that it, it fell into my brain is I think one of the things that makes, gosh, and this is going to sound pretentious and I don't mean it to be because it, 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 I'll explain why in a minute, because I don't want it to sound like I'm overly hyping interactivity but i feel like one of the problems about a museum thing about games is very often that there's there has to be a way to better capture the feeling of play besides just Mm -hmm. giving people your arcade cabinet or something i think a quintessential part of games is sort of like what was being said before is like is the emotive part of it so i mean i would not be able to properly build like a museum space i would want to create like some space that ties into that sentiment. Like I feel like it has to be, I mean, all museums are explorable spaces. I mean, like if I think it really has to be something that captures play, but I don't know what that is. I feel like you're describing an escape room. A little (laughs) bit, (laughs) except I don't lock you in it. Oh gosh, escape rooms, scary. Well, I feel like (laughs) we're probably, now that I think about this question again, we're supposed to be designing it for Frank, and uh, well, uh, uh, sort of. Yeah, that's. I guess that's true. But if you're at like a, a museum of science or like a what what is the video game exhibit there? Right. Oh, like what is- um, the museum of science uh, exhibits that have stayed with me the longest since uh, going to them as a kid are the ones that explore like the life cycle of an animal that goes through a bunch of stages. So something that explores each stage of the development of a video game, how it goes from an idea to a product, I think, is something that would be very valuable in getting people to understand how video games are made. All of us would go through it and go like, it's not like that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I th- I think you could, um, what's his name? Crane, um, the Intellivision guy. That guy's name who did the, the app that explained how you make... Well, he had nothing Sorry, to do Atari. with Intellivision, Atari. but uh, David, Crane, David Crane, who worked at Activision. Yes. Uh, yes. Sorry. He made an interactive app that explained how the Atari 2600 works. That's also where my head goes uh, with video games um, because it was something that you actually touched and interacted with um, to understand how that system worked. And what I often think of is like an exhibit where you change values for a jump in a game and then like play with the jump now to see how it feels to understand Hmm. things like physics in a game. It has to have a playful component to it. Like, so that's fun. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of the exhibit where, like, you would play with uh, the orbit of a uh, particular mm-hmm. item around the sun. So I have an idea for how this would work as a longer thing where you would have, you'd start with the David Crane stuff, and here's how the 2600 works. And then, since there are so many, like, really good tutorials for making things and basically tools for making things on old consoles now and you could do an nes thing and then there could be this there's a great write-up on how the sega genesis works and how its graphics works which is designed for a layperson. and so you could have something there and then you can let people like interact with the uh, parallax scrolling or something like that and figure out how to i think scroll that stuff it, off screen. i think that works if the exhibit is specifically about video game consoles, but I am irked by the idea of a video game exhibit focusing on curated specific platforms. I don't like that. Oh, sorry. That's what my exhibit is. 
<laughs> because <laughs> uh, you are you are dismissing most video games as your funding things. is denied well you know yeah. the reason i'm thinking about this is because you can like show the the nuance of like how game development is has been different over time like sure you had to do this thing or that thing and showing the weirdness that goes into the saturn or something and mess with textures on that thing and see how it breaks everything okay pretty that's fair Interesting, but yeah, it's it's totally different from like PC development, which is was a different kind of wild west. But I don't know. Maybe you have people come in and speak about that. I think it's hard. I think it, I think you got to tap them into the process, right? I think it's mm-hmm. if I if Mario Maker didn't already exist, I'm sure I would be probably pitching you something like Mario Maker, right? Where, yeah. where people get mm-hmm. to be part Make of Mario. it. I, I think it's really important that people understand games as processes that come about as both joint acts of labor and then like. A creative thing right like i say this because like i'm the theater major i'm the touchy-feely person so I, I think it has to be a space where you where, where you make something i know as a kid the prospect of making a video game seems incomprehensible and that's a gap that needs to be bridged all right i like it all right uh here is our last topic before the all-important lightning round if you ran a combination tea shop and vintage game store what blends would you pair with which games Oh, ho, ho. this is so bizarre. I'm just going to use this as a second to say I just drank a ton of teas based off of Skies of Arcadia. Wow. I'll tell, and I'll tell you what I did. This doesn't answer your question, but I'll tell you what I did at the very least, because I think that this could be a good idea if you tailored them to the right worlds like if you did like almost like beer flights right so what Mm -hmm. i did is this person had been making them both for characters teas that inhabit the characters um in the game but also um in skies of arcadia there's moons over multiple areas of the world like different lands and i so what i did is i drank teas based off of each of the different continents and their moons in the order that the characters went around the globe and i i feel like a really cool tea video game experience would be to be like hey here is your journey around arcadia here is your journey around the mushroom kingdom here's i I don't know not mario maybe but you know that sort of thing where you actually have like small a small sample platter of teas that take you around the world sort of i think that would be really cool i don't know what those blends would be because it would have to change from game to game right yeah that's very drilled in i'm thinking something a little wider like so, what would what would you pair with like say an old role-playing game well i drink specific teas for specific moods or ways that i'm uh-huh. feeling at that time and so i, yeah, think I would do i would do two things one is i would put out a bunch of teas that i feel like fit certain moods in general for when people are coming in they want to feel this way and I'll, I'll be like this is the kind of video game that pairs with that but then i would also have this curated space where it's like okay this game is here i don't know cyber doll for the sega saturn and that mm-hmm. means you will be drinking this specific sequence of teas it'll be like a a nice green tea jasmine and it'll move along to like a at the at the very end it'll be like a, a turkish sugar mint tea one of those extremely um sweet viscous ones and it'll be like if you're sitting here playing this game these are the teas that you can have you can't have different ones these are the ones that you get Mm. um okay so that's what i would do um so people like to play the big new games so i'm thinking about that cyberpunk oh yeah and there's this tea you can buy it's called smooth moves and uh, nft 
<laughs> it's uh, nice. It's a it's a tea that you drink that doesn't taste very good, and then like six hours later, you have to be on the toilet yeah. for like an hour. Yeah. Um. So I, that's what I would pair <laughs> with cyberpunk. And <laughs> wow, you feel uncomfortable, and then you waste your time. That's, that's cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, we got it. Tea. We got it. Um. There's this tea that I really like called unicorn grass, and it is mm-hmm. not really a tea. It is a parasite that grows on old tea leaves and some enterprising person was like, well, I could probably boil this and see how it tastes. Um, (laughs) And uh, for me, this tea is a really cool, relaxing, but brain expanding sort of a, Mm -hmm. a a tea that it's really good for if you want to sit down and write something and putting that with a game that you want to chill out with and, and think about other things. So like, I don't know, Tetris or something, then you could pull, you could get this tea and you'd just be doing this rote action that allows your mind to also wander into other spaces. Because when I go to a cafe, I am often going there because I need an inspiration. I need to be outside of my house and thinking about creative things outside of my house. And so that sort of thing would be a, a helpful experience for me, I feel. I was thinking Parasite Eve would be the tea you go for with that. Yeah, well, that's um, that's a... If if we were attaching them to names, then it would be a, a very different sort of thing. Uh, yeah, there's that green tea, gunpowder green tea. You could just put it with like Enter the Gungeon or whatever. If you're if you're matching things up by name, but I feel like I want to match things up by by mood, not by name. Unless this were a lightning round, in which case I would feel the opposite way. Here's our lightning round. This week, I'm going to share with you the tenets of the Blue Rogues Code. From the video game Skies of Arcadia. You're really messing with seen me. <laughs> in the game's instruction booklet. Uh, your job is to tell me which video game characters best live up to each of these tenets individually, thereby screening them for potential Blue Rogues membership. All right. Rule number one is always be audacious. Hmm. Well, Sonic is, uh, I mean, he's, he's, the, uh, he's the dude with the dude, so... Oh, I think we're we're gonna see a lot more of that guy through this. <laughs> okay. Right, I think man. it's I think it's Majima. Sure, that sounds better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you all of these tenants by heart. Do you want me to just do the next one when we get to it? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can, sure. Why don't you take over and host the show for a second? Sure. So, uh, <laughs> so the first one is always be audacious. Yeah. Um, does anybody have any? Uh, anybody I mean, I think Majima is a really good answer for that. Majima is yeah. a really good answer. The second is make decisions swiftly. Sonic. Yeah, Sonic. Damn. Yeah, yeah uh, I suppose. Or Ryo Ryo Hazuki from Shenmue doing a QTE. Or, or maybe like uh, someone from F Zero because you you have to make decisions pretty fast in an F Zero. Oh, game, I, th- so. I think it's Captain whatever his name is. Captain Falcon. I think it's um, yeah. yeah. I think it's uh, Phoenix Wright because he's objection in a very quick. Yeah, but you do you have? Isn't it? Is it a timed thing in the game? I thought it's you not. All the time. It's not really timed. I would yeah. say uh, one of the protagonists from one of those Telltale games because if you run out of time, they oh, make like the a Lee Everett you. type of situation. Exactly. He's got to make decisions. I think it's swiftly. someone. I think it's so- someone like that, right? It's like a Lee Everett, a Rio has mm-hmm. where you got to hit the button, do the thing. Oh yeah. I I can't remember his name, but um the the protagonist of Sakura Tyson needs to um. In, in every conversation, there's a timer for him responding to the dating sim bits when, like, any lady says something to you. You have to uh, reply to it within, I think it's, like, 10 seconds. It's really fast. So maybe it's that guy, but I forget what his name is, lol. All right, what's our third one? Take treasures and be thankful. Ooh. Wario? <laughs> He's Wario. not thankful, though. 
He's wow. not thankful, though. Um, hmm, I guess that's true. Um, Toad? So he's not thankful? Yeah, well, he, he's thankful that he has the treasure. He, yeah. That is true. I immediately thought that was a very good answer. Okay, um, yeah. Because otherwise like... the answer is, like, some JRPG protagonist who's just going into people's houses, being thankful that I he's think... taking their stuff. Uh, he... I think Wario appreciates having the money. He I loves think it's it. really... Yeah, I don't think it's a Scrooge McDuck situation where it almost curses him in yeah. a way. Like, he just likes it. Mm-hmm. To that point, Wario World was developed by Treasure. There we go. Mm-hmm. Am I getting these right in the order of the instruction booklet, by the way? You're three for three so far. Absolutely. Uh, Ichiro Ogami is the protagonist of Sakura Tyson, just to say that's who I was thinking of. Next. What's our fourth? Do not tolerate cowardly acts. That's correct. We gotta go with some horror protagonists here, I guess. Not necessarily. Anyone who's, like, punishing a villain works here. It's very broad. Yeah, it's a big one. Oh, uh, Mr. Rossetti from Animal Crossing, who yells Ooh. at you if you try to manipulate the game. Those aren't cowardly acts. Those are things no. to try to make you have more fun with the video game. Oh, uh, you're backing out of a decision you made. That's yeah, cowardly. Yeah, or you're time-traveling, and he's like, why yeah. are you, you don't, But you don't have all the information about what that decision leads to, so it's not cowardly. It's it's smart playing, in my opinion. I don't like Mr. Rossetti. Get him out of oh. here. You don't like Mr. Rossetti, you don't like Tom Nook, you don't like anybody in Animal Crossing. I do, I like uh, a lot of the villagers. I think uh, a bunch of them are pretty good. I like that <laughs> pelican fella. Alright. I like, what's her name, dog? Isabel. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what's her name, dog? Yeah, uh, t- Tim would hate me for not remembering. She's the one who is Isabel. What her name is. Uh, Alright, who else doesn't tolerate cowardly acts? Marcus Phoenix, no. I noticed that Frank is staying very silent to make sure that he doesn't accidentally win Yeah, he's win trying this not one. to win. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> just periodically say, mm, yes, interesting. Actually, Frank is just on the other end playing a, a, a loop of a couple of his uh, <laughs> phrases. Yeah, just, it's a soundboard. Yeah, it's a soundboard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he's just playing He's just playing real life a window. Okay, who doesn't tolerate cowardly acts? God darn it. There's, I know there's a... There's someone good in here for this. Someone who actually punishes somebody who betrays them. Because so often, like in Yakuza 7, someone will betray you a few times and you'll be like, but you're my true friend. And then it's, true. It's, it's all fine. It's not okay. No. Why do you so, do that? Yeah. Character Why? name here. Redacted spoilers. I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a good answer for this because I feel like that's most protagonists, right? Of yeah. Just, I think this is the protagonist code, right? Of just right. like... That's any, that's any hero. I'm going to yes. say yeah. Ness from Earth. I'm going to say Batman. <laughs> Batman. From yeah, he's, he's all right. Cowardly no, he's lot. all right. He's he's all right with cowards. He protects. Oh, them. that's true. Okay, yeah, he wants them to be cowards. Um, right. yeah, he wants to be protective. He's he's mommy. That's true. So he he's cool with it. Batman okay, maybe it's mommy. Robin then. <laughs> <laughs> What's number five? Uh, number five is always challenge he who is stronger than you. Uh, that's correct. And I'm gonna say Little Mac from Punch Out. It's also Oof. everybody in every video game. Again, it's it's um. It's Ryo from Shenmue. Yeah, but that's, I mean, Lil Mac, that's that's his thing, that's right? His, like, yeah, Lil. that's his whole deal. I guess it's he's entirely he's small. That's all he does is consistently challenge people stronger. And he's named after a lesser sandwich, so. <laughs> I mean, it's any RPG character, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what these ultimately are, or it's like the creed of an RPG character. Yeah. But, you know. But, like, I'm asking who most typifies each of I like Lil Mac. I think it's good. I think it's like yeah. if you decide to toss out a Metapod in the middle of the Pokemon battle and challenge someone because oh. then everybody's stronger than you. You're a gosh dang Metapod. Can't do right. anything. And then yeah. somehow you win. 
You ever see that video of the guy who beats Pokemon just using a Magikarp? Well, they, I guess maybe Magikarp is the answer. Right? Yeah, Magikarp is a better one. <laughs> yeah. I like Magikarp. I think I think it's some sort of... I feel like a Pokemon answer here feels really, really right. I don't feel like Magikarp want... I mean, Magikarp. 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 <laughs> uh, that was a game I tried to make. I don't think Magikarp wants to fight anybody, though. So I no. think it's still got to be Lil Mac because Lil Mac has the... Uh, the drive to do it, whereas Magikarp is like, you flopped me out here, now I have to survive. Uh, what's our sixth and final tenet? Never give up. Never give up. Celeste, the, the character from Celeste. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's really yeah. good. The other suggestion I was going to have was like one that was Madeline, like an endless runner character or something like that, like the dude from Res Infinite or like the te- Cannibal like guy. The, the, cannibal guy or the temple run guy or someone somebody's just going forever well it ha- they have to respond quickly too so yeah yeah i think i think those count still uh i was thinking of bryce boltzman from never dead who cannot die and uh continues to try to defeat his enemies even while rolling around as a severed head that's a really good name i remember that yep Man. me too sort of all right uh so which of these characters we proposed are making the cut to the blue rogues Sonic. Sonic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Sonic fits in there for sure. <laughs> I think Madeline deserves it. Yeah, I mean, she'd be great, she'd be great to have along for the ride. Yeah, right, I, I think that would be real cathartic for her. Your, a crew uh, requires many different people. In Skies of Arcadia, you recruit like 26 of them. You can have as many people on your ship as you want. Madeline can come, Sonic can come, Majima, maybe not. Also, no. Ogami from Sakura Tyson comes with a mech, so that's something handy. That's useful. Very useful. Uh, well, I am going to give the victory of this episode to Heather for so masterfully taking control nice. of the lightning round from me. Congratulations, oh, Heather. No, it's oh, good. That, that, those, those tenants that I know by heart? Yeah. 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 It's almost like I specifically tailored this show to the guest that we were having. Oh, too, uh, but too that's much. just me. It feels uh, <laughs> it's unfair. This is like uh, a quiz show thing. You're giving me all and this. And yet Frank always wins anyway. What's up with that? Because he knows too much. <laughs> Frank, Frank yeah. you, ever, you always talk to him and then he always spits out some sort of fact or whatever. It's, or he's like, actually, it was this thing from this year. And you're like, oh, what my it? God, I'm just trying to freaking get coffee, buddy. Well, you'll get your question for the next episode off mic. Uh, for yeah, now, we'll figure it out. This is the point where we plug whatever projects we have going on and recommend stuff for our listeners to do to occupy themselves between now and the next episode. Wow. Yeah. I could start, I suppose. You go, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Two things. To lean into the theme of what you've done, I've been writing a novelization of Skies of Arcadia. It's called To the Horizon. You can find it on most fan writing sites and you can read that. But really, the thing I should probably plug is this little thing called Psychonauts 2. Yeah. Um, which uh, we've been working very hard at at Double Fine. It has been in production for over five years. And it's coming out in one month. It is coming out in... Wait, wait a second. I it almost is got you. Out, it is coming out this year, which is really cool. <laughs> and is, uh, much like Kingdom Hearts 2, it's actually the third game in the series. It's true, but not as many people played Psychonauts and the Rhombus of Ruin because most people didn't have like VR at the time, which I is a bummer. It. I think Rhombus is really fun. It's one of the but, three VR games I've played. Yeah. I would love to find a way to allow people to experience that in a way that wasn't entirely dependent upon vr but i mean like that's that's it's, what i say it's just a vr game that was almost one of my questions this week but i figured you got that all yeah i mean so i don't know please play psychonauts 2 when it comes out it will be coming out this year like that is 
an absolute fact. I know people have been waiting for this game for a while and they've probably endured announcements where they're like, this is the year. And it turned out it wasn't the year. This is the year. It is happening. The people who work on this game are amazingly talented people who are pouring their hearts into it. The amount of the amount of work that they do uh, every day deeply inspires me. You heard it here. Expect it at some point in the next eight and a half months. Yes. And I would say, since it came up and it has been on my mind lately, a uh, thing for you, you to do in the meantime, try some tea. Try something mm. that relaxes you. And in this case, mm-hmm. try some tea. Try a, a tea that you've never had before. Recommend one that you like. I'll recommend some um, that I like after. So I would say if you want something very calming, you get a chamomile and you have any sort of added fruit flavors in there, like a blueberry or something. Um, one that I think people should just try to have tried it is Lapsang, right? Because it's it's fire. It's like smoked tea is what it is. And it has a very distinct taste that whether or not you like it, you will remember it because it, it it's almost like drinking a campfire. That sounds kind of bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, but it's super distinct, right? So I would say like grab something light and then grab something strong. And if you wanted something strong and interest and at least interesting, right? And you don't have to like it. It's like a little bit of lapsang would be great. And then on the other hand, you could have a chamomile or an Earl Grey or you know uh, any other sort of thing. Eleven Earl Grey. I have one every afternoon. Yeah, it's super good. Frank, you got stuff? So I don't, I don't know how to turn this into a recommendation. I think it's just kind of neat. I've discovered that uh, there are tools these days to play really old Windows games. Not really old, like 2001, 2002, and like kind of PS2 era Windows games uh, sort of reinterpreted for your modern uh, devices. So I, I'm, I'm kind of doing some, I don't know, play research for a, a project, and I started playing... Not, not. I'm not recommending this game, but uh, Batman Vengeance by Ubisoft, Ooh, yeah. um, the PC version. Which, if you just play it, it's a game that caps at uh, 768p. But if you use modern tools, specifically in this case, DG Voodoo 2 is the name of it, um, and you set it up right, I'm playing this PS2 game at 4K, 120 frames a second, with like all of the modern filtering and stuff, and it's 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 an interesting thing to just see what these games look like like that yeah, it sounds and like an I, experience I, at least it is it is and 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 it makes me really wish that all the games from that era had a windows version uh instead of being stuck on these dang locked boxes that everyone fetishizes when it comes to video games those boxes rule though <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty great um i'm gonna recommend things now uh, Go for it. i've been getting some uh, requests to recommend some more music because um, people have been enjoying them apparently, especially the goth ones. <laughs> so I got I got two we goth recs and two non goth recs. Uh, I'm gonna recommend Ploho from Russia. That's P L O H O. Their album that is in Cyrillic and I can't read, but it has P Y L after it. Check that one out. It's really good um, Russian gothy biz. Then uh, Morwen's album. Ubila Mogila, which is a Ukrainian band that is, they're really um, kind of uh, almost industrial-ish in their approach to it. I really like that one. And then uh, if anybody wants to feel like they are inside of a Sonic game in terms of being similar to like um, New Jack Swing and stuff. Then go to Frank's Museum. Go to Frank's Museum. There's this artist called Dila Vance who is not very known or popular. And so this is uh, getting on the ground floor of 1990 with D. Lavance, D apostrophe L-A-V-A-N-C-E. Only has one album 
And But check out the song Open Your Eyes and you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm in a Sonic game right now. And then lastly, uh, check out Moondog if you never have. Moondog is a blind street musician who wore a Viking outfit and hung out on 6th Avenue in New York for most of his life and invented uh, snake time rhythms. Possibly invented. Maybe didn't invent. Maybe he got them from somewhere. But um, he is a quite a character who was mostly homeless but also performed with like Philip Glass and wound up performing in giant concert halls in Germany and stuff once people were like, oh, this guy's actually, he's uh, really doing stuff. So check out his eponymous 1969 album. He's dead and all. He was born in 1916, so he's, he's, uh, he's out of here. And lastly, I will recommend three teas that I like. One is uh, called Peppermint Bark. It's a super cheap tea from Bigelow that is seasonal, but it is chocolate and peppermint but it actually has very few ingredients and it's really, really good. And it's surprisingly, it's such a great like evening tea to have. I I bought it because it was on clearance after Christmas. It's legitimately good. It's good enough that I went, I went on friggin' eBay and I bought some more boxes of it because it's seasonal and you can't get it anymore. Um, But you can get it for relatively cheap on the internet. Um, It's just like you pay $3 a box instead of two. Numi's turmeric three roots. That's a really good one. It's turmeric and uh, ginger and licorice. If you like any of those flavors, that'll be pretty good for you. And lastly, that unicorn grass tea. I'm going to recommend that one again because it's real good for the brain working. If you can find it, you can find it in some like specialty Taiwanese shops and stuff. I'll hop in just to say one thing for tea too is if you like green tea, try um, it's called a kukicha. It's like a, it's like twig tea, right? It has like all these extra leaves and stems in it, and it ends up being a little bit like green tea, but sweeter and oftentimes a little nuttier. Um, so if you like green tea, that's a good option. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I'll say something about tea too. The arcade game is pretty good. Nice. <laughs> but you know, uh, if you call the eight hundred number on the arcade game to join the fan club, they don't know what you're talking about. I tried it. That's terrible. Jeez. Yeah. I, I do have some other non-tea related recommendations. Uh, I'd like to recommend that if you're listening to this on iTunes or archive.org or Audible or any platform where you can subscribe to or that you do that for us to keep the algorithms pushing us upwards and forwards. Uh, you could also go to patreon.com slash insert credit where you could become a patron to submit your own questions, get episodes one day early, one even day access early. one day early, and even access to regular bonus episodes and other exclusive content. We'll have that promised Xbox 360 special ready for you very soon. Oh, yeah. In the meantime, you can join the community at forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at Insert Credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Frank is at Frank Cifaldi. Brandon is at Necrosofty. And Heather is at TransGamerThink. This show is produced by Esper Quinn with music by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Cifaldi. I'm Brandon Sheffield. I'm Heather Alexandra. And your game has now been saved. Esper will edit this all out. Hi, Esper. Hello. Hello. Hello, nice Hello. lady. We gotta design the Jerry Lewis video game at some point. It's the Animaniacs game, I think. Imagine it's like Octodad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm touching the things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Hoyven dead. The fallen down, Blaven. 